Uh, we'll hear argument first this morning, number 00276, the United States and the Department of Agriculture versus United Foods, Inc. Ms. McDowell. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, the assessments imposed under the Mushroom Promotion, Research, and Consumer Information Act do not abridge the freedom of speech of any mushroom producer. No producer is restrained by the Act from communicating any message to any audience. No producer is compelled to speak, and no producer is compelled to fund the expression of others' political or ideological views. Mushroom producers are simply required to contribute to the costs of a program of commercial speech and other activities designed to further the economic interests of their own industry. Not in their view. Not entirely, Your Honor, no, but Congress is entitled uh, in this sort of economic program to make the determination that the interests of the industry as a whole would benefit from such a program. Well, you speak of the economic program. What is the economic program other than uh, the program requiring contributions for this advertising scheme? Well, the program is not limited to advertising, Justice Souter. Um, as the title of the statute suggests, it's promotion, research, and consumer education. So the programs authorized by the Mushroom Council can, and in some instances do, include um, more than advertising. Well, but I take it that your position that it, uh, if it were solely uh, uh, confined to advertising, it would be constitutional nonetheless. That's correct, Justice Kennedy. Um, as long as Congress has a legitimate interest uh, in strengthening the market for a particular agricultural commodity, Congress is entitled under Wildman um, to enact this sort of program and, and impose it upon an industry. Is this commercial speech that is within the First Amendment for some purposes? Yes, it is commercial speech. Certainly, if an individual producer was um, engaging in the same sort of message, the government would be constrained by the commercial speech doctrine from So your position speech. is that in some instances, industries or persons can be compelled to contribute to commercial speech when there is no other program that's connected with it? That's correct. Uh, of course, such programs are subject to other constitutional constraints, such as rational basis um, considerations. And, uh, well, and, and you say it can't, it can't cover ideological speech. What, you know, what, what is ideological speech? I mean, suppose I am, I am a member of the, uh, the, the people for the ethical treatment of mushrooms, and I think, <laughs> and I think that mushrooms should not be eaten at all. Can I be compelled to uh, uh, take part in this advertising? Well, then presumably you wouldn't be a mushroom producer and, and you wouldn't be covered by the Well, no, no. I, pro I produce them to make them happy. I just, I just don't harvest them. Well, I, I still think in those circumstances you would be outside the statute because you wouldn't be selling them well, for consumption. What, On the what, other hand — Would uh, it be ideological? I mean, what, what is this ideological line that you're drawing? I, I mean, well, what if I feel adamantly about a free market? Well, and, it's a line And that, this advertising is, is slanting the market. I, I feel passionately that, that uh, as an ideological matter, a free market is a good thing. It's a line that — the court drew in Wildman Brothers itself, contrasting those sorts of objections of fruit producers um, mm -hmm. with the kinds of objections that were asserted in cases like Abood and Keller, objections to, for example, a nuclear freeze initiative that the California Bar had supported, or contributions to political candidates in the Abood context. So nuclear, nuclear freezes and political uh, candidates are ideological. Those would clearly fall on that side of the line. Free here economy as, is not. Pardon me? Free economy is not. Well, certainly uh, 
respondent and others are uh, free, uh, notwithstanding the Mushroom Act, to express their own views about the benefits of a free economy. Uh, nothing is presented. I, I take it you're making the point that in that respect it's no different from Wellman. But you've gotten away from a point that you started on when Justice Kennedy put a question to you. You, of course, are trying to make this as much like Wildman as you can. Is there anything in this program, as they, there was in that one, other than the advertising? You said the statute authorizes research and something else you mentioned, but in fact, is anything going on other than the advertising? Yes, in fact, Justice Ginsburg, other programs are going on. Uh, there has been research into the nutri- nutritional and health benefits of mushrooms. Um, there is a considerable amount of working with uh, grocery store managers in terms of the placement of mushrooms, safe storage of mushrooms, uh, other programs of that nature. The, probably the bulk of the expenditures of the program to date have been for public relations and publicity-type activities, but there are other activities going on here as well. Is it correct, as the, your opponent in the red brief says, that there are actually two different, rather di- dramatically different kinds of programs in the Department of Agriculture and that this is not in the same group that the one in Wildwood was involved in? Well, it's true, Justice Stevens, that uh, the program in Wildman Brothers was authorized under the Agriculture Marketing Agreements Act. Right. And, uh, Programs authorized under that act sometimes, in most cases, in fact, do include other regulations, but there are um, some 11 um, promotion, research, and consumer information programs that are quite similar to this one, including the ones in the beef, pork, and cotton industries. All of these programs um, in different years involve different components of research, consumer information, and promotion, Uh, so it would be difficult to draw a line between which uh, were more and less like the ones in Wildman Brothers. I, I presume you can be you can be forced to contribute to a program that is clearly against your economic interest. I mean, you're a peach grower and and you're compelled to uh, contribute to an advertising program promoting uh, yellowish peaches, while whereas you're you're growing um, um, orangey orangey peaches. You, you could be compelled to do that. Uh, well, that was certainly one of the complaints that was raised in Wildman Brothers, and it wasn't given constitutional significance. So your answer is yes. Uh, presumably Congress could determine that there were benefits to be obtained uh, to the entire industry by promotion that focused uh, at least in one year on and Make you products. contribute to the saying that my competitor's product is better than mine. Presumably Congress could do that, Justice Scalia, but that's not what this program does. But in, in Wildman, uh, the argument I — I didn't think it was a persuasive one, but the, the, the argument that carried the day in Wildman was uh, that, the, that the restrictions on speech, which I, I agree were, were fall within Justice Scalia's hypo, uh, were justified because they were incidental to and they were germane to what was a true act of market regulation. Uh, there, there was regulation uh, by, by quality control on what could be marketed, and, and there was regulation in terms of quantity that could be marketed. And I take it there's, there's, there are no such features uh, in this case. That's correct, but I would disagree with your premise that there were quantity controls in Wildman Brothers. There weren't. There were only quality and maturity controls. I'm, I'm sorry. They, they, that you're, you're right. The, the — uh, the, uh, uh, standards for bringing fruit to market were, were, were in Wildman. Yes, but we don't think that 
those differences in regulation make any difference with respect to the First Amendment interests that are implicated Well, then what here. do you make of the germaneness argument in Wildman uh, and its relation to this case? I mean, it's got to be germane. That the, the argument in Wildman was that the restrictions were germane to these other market regulatory activities. And what you have described as the government's activities here seem to be entirely either advertising or, or other promotional activities. You said, well, they tell the, the, the produce managers where to put the mushrooms in the stores. And, I mean, that, that isn't market regulation. It, it's, uh, I, I would say it's, it's simply uh, promotion, uh, teaching them how to sell mushrooms. Uh, so I, I don't see that there's anything to which this is germane which is comparable to the scheme in Wildman. Ms. McDowell, is that perhaps why you raise an alternative argument that this, in fact, is government speech? We have raised that alternative argument. And is it the cause of this problem that you've been listening to this morning, that it doesn't appear to be part of a broader regulatory program? Uh, we raised the government speech argument because we think it's also a viable argument. Was, was that argument made below? No, it wasn't made below. We believe that it's encompassed by the question presented in our petition and that the Court has the discretion to reach that question. And are you going to address it in your argument? Yes, I will. If I could just return briefly to Justice Souter's question, because I think our argument in Wildman Brothers and how we um, — uh, read the Court's opinion, is not that the generic advertising program has to be germane to some separate regulatory program. And why did the Court spend all the time that it did discussing germaneness? Well, as we understand the Court's opinion, the Court was saying that the generic advertising program was germane to Congress's interest in strengthening and stabilizing the market for an agricultural product. And that's precisely well, in the that same case, then you're system. simply saying that uh, that the advertising scheme was, in effect, germane uh, to a general scheme of addressing the desirability of marketing this material. And, and that seems to me to read the germaneness requirement uh, right out of, right, you know, right out of any significance. Uh, we would disagree. We think that in both this case and Wildman Brothers, there was a um, legitimate non-speech purpose for the regulation, and that was strengthening and uh, stabilizing the market for a commodity. It wasn't there and it isn't here simply to encourage speech about mushrooms. Well, if, if, I'm sorry. Couldn't at least uh, one read, there may be ambiguity in it, but Wildman to, to have alternative arguments. That is, one is the germaneness thing, but then I think the Court used expressions like in any event, which sounds like that's a self-standing ground, that it wasn't necessary to have both. If you had either, it would do. Uh, the opinion certainly can be read in that uh, manner, and uh, here, as in Wildman Brothers, there is no political or ideological content to the speech. Ms. McDowell, if, if germaneness to a government regulatory program is irrelevant, how do you, uh, how do you explain the limitations we've placed upon compulsory uh, union dues? Um, could, could a union compel non-union members uh, to contribute to union activities other than those of representing the, uh, the employees, so long as those other union activities are not ideological? Yes, the Court has so held in cases such as Lenart, where the Court uh, allowed um, uh, 
non-members' dues to be used to fund certain union programs, which were not ideological and were not particularly germane to the um, purpose of collective bargaining, but were nonetheless considered to be permissible. So the line gets back to ideology again. And I, I do want you to address the government speech argument. Justice O'Connor had, but let me just one hypothetical. Uh, suppose that the government decides that kids are spending too much money on designer clothes, and they want them to buy generic clothes. Um, and uh, because they're causing jealousy in the high schools and all that stuff. Um, so the government has a huge advertising campaign by generic clothes, but assesses all the clothing manufacturers, including the designers. Is that ideological? We would still view that, I think, as a commercial message, but it would be somewhat more problematic because the uh, uh, clothing producers would be required to fund a program that's directly contrary to their interests. But you're, control, you're controlling uh, uh, consumer tastes, uh, demands, attitudes. Uh, this, it seems to me, is something that our culture, rightly or wrongly, is very interested in. And you're saying that the government uh, can compel people that don't believe in, in that particular in that particular approach to to contribute to, to shaping social attitudes about it. Well, it's, it's a somewhat more difficult question than this one, Justice Kennedy. I, I will agree with you. Um, if there is a sufficiently important government interest, it might well be permissible. On the other hand, there are al- always rational basis standards that apply, and it might not seem rational to single out um, the clothing producers in this instance for um, that sort of an assessment. It seems much more rational to impose an assessment on those members. Oh, so of the now you have to have benefit. some special government interest. Pardon me? Now you have to have some special government interest, some compelling interest that the government is accomplishing? Um, perhaps an important interest under the Abood standard if one is to view this as ideological speech. Do you, do you know the last case in which a, a tax scheme was, uh, was stricken down because the objects of it were irrational? Uh, it happens rational. rarely, Your Honor. But very, uh, perhaps very Congress rarely be- rational basis of taxation is uh, almost anything goes. I can't imagine striking down that scheme on the basis that it's it's, it's irrational because of the, the, the taxpayers identified. Well, the Court certainly has done that in instances where the um, group singled out for taxation was, for example, the media. Uh, but obviously the, the hypothetical um, posited by Justice Kennedy wouldn't involve that. I if I could deflect, the, I think we deflected Justice O'Connor's question about governments. I was about to get back to that. Thank you. Uh, it's our view that the speech here is a uh, speech of the government funded by uh, taxes or user fees um, on those who are uh, perceived by Congress to benefit the most from the speech. But does Congress the tax apply to everybody who benefits from the speech? Does the me? tax imposed on every producer who benefits from the speech? It's imposed on those who Congress determined would Is it imposed on most. all of those who benefit from the speech? Um, surely there may be some small producers Is it imposed that on all those who benefit from the speech? Um, yes or no? No, no. Okay. And, indeed, Congress um, perceived the statute to benefit the entire agricultural industry, and, indeed, the entire agricultural industry does not pay those assessments either. But Congress determined that um, the major mushroom producers would be the ones who benefited the most, and the vast majority of the industry does contribute to the assessments. Well, how how about our old Butler case, you know, 1936, where there was a tax on processors that the court held uh, was was unconstitutional because it was uh, misdirected. 
Now, that case may not be good law anymore, but certainly you've got some problem with a, with a, a, a tax which uh, is imposed on some people but benefits a lot, of, a lot of other people. Well, Congress could reasonably determine that uh, the costs of imposing the tax on the very, very small producers um, would exceed the benefits of, of doing so. For example, under the current assessment of a, a quarter cent per uh, pound of mushrooms produced, the smaller producers, um, those who are exempt, would pay at most um, $1,250 a year, and that's really a, a if, very small If you amount. treat this as simply a tax thing, uh, a tax scheme, That's probably our most lenient standard of review. But you you have the commercial speech cases, which talk about an intermediate level of scrutiny well above even ordinary rational basis. Well, that's correct, but we don't believe that the commercial speech um, cases, Central Hudson and so on, are applicable here because we're not talking about restrictions on anyone's speech or regulations of speech. Rather, we're talking about a program that imposes a, a tax or user fee for the purpose of encouraging more consumer speech, not less. Is there any message here other than mushrooms are so good for you? I mean, that, that I thought that that was a, the, your central point, that unlike Central Hudson, uh, this is not a restriction on what anybody can say. This is just a message that presumably all who sell mushrooms uh, uh, couldn't object to. That's correct, Justice but Ginsburg. The, the argument you just made that, we, that the government's paying to have more speech was exactly the argument we rejected in Buckley, where the campaign finance uh, rule that we struck down said, you know, we need to hear from more people, not less, and so we're going to restrict some people's speech. And yes, the but this refused isn't used to go along with that. Yes, in contrast to Buckley, though, this isn't a program that restricts people's speech, that limits how much mushroom producers can speak. They are free to speak as much as they want to. Uh, they are only required to contribute money to this program in addition, so that there can be what, generic. What is speech. our closest case that supports this kind of fee? to pay for some kind of government-designed speech. Um, What do you rely on? I'm not sure that we have any case of this court that involves a targeted fee to uh, pay for uh, a government speech program. Um, Certainly the court has recognized, although not necessarily relied as a holding on the principle that the government isn't subject to the constraints of the First Amendment when uh, it speaks on its own behalf, and the court has recognized that all government programs don't have to be funded through general tax revenues but can be targeted, can be um, uh, funded through a variety of user fees and other targeted I'm, I'm not sure it would be a, a stable or a workable line, but it, it does seem to me that there's not much we can do about government speech. Uh, but maybe at least we can say it has to be funded by general revenues and not from a targeted group uh, that objects to it. Well, that would obviously be a line that you could draw, Justice Kennedy. There are some cases that uh, have similar aspects where the government has imposed a user fee on individual speakers. For example, in the context of the Cox case, the Court recognized that user fees could be imposed to reimburse local government for the cost of um, administering parades. And so there seems to be um, nothing... uh, Hmm. Um, inconsistent with the First Amendment with uh, requiring uh, uh, special 
taxes or assessments for speech activities. May I ask if the government has made this argument, and there have been a bunch of these cases involving different programs, meat and pears and so forth. Has the government made the government speech argument in any of these other cases? Yes, we made the argument in the frame case, which uh, was the uh, case that conflicted with Wildman Brothers, uh, a Third Circuit case. The Third Circuit, although it perceived the question as a close one, um, did not rule for the government on the government speech ground. It instead ruled on the ground that there was a compelling interest for the beef program, which is very much like the mushroom program. Right. I had one other question that's based on something in the red brief. I don't recall this, but they quote from the oral argument in the in the case of the Wildman case, saying that the uh, government said they would lose if, we, if it were not a marketing program like this. Is that a correct statement of the oral No, it's not a correct statement, Your Honor. What we said was that if the court didn't recognize that there was an important purpose to be served by these programs, we would lose. But we didn't tie our argument in Wildman to the existence of additional regulation. I see. Why do we need an important purpose uh, other than just to solve rational basis, in which case it's any old purpose? Uh, is it important because speech is involved? Well, we were arguing in that case pre-Wildman, obviously, um, before the Court's Wildman decision, that the Abood standard was the appropriate one to apply in these cases. And under Abood, the uh, uh, speech program that's funded by the objectors has to be germane to an important government purpose. And so that's why we were arguing that the purpose was at at least important. We would argue, of course, that the purpose of the Mushroom Act is also an important one to strengthen the mushroom industry, as Congress found, and to um, thereby strengthen the entire agricultural Is there anything that Congress does that is not important? I mean, if strengthening the mushroom program is important, what is not important? Can, Can give me an example of some government program that is not important? And less important than strengthening the mushroom program. Uh, I wouldn't be able to give you one, Justice Scalia, but certainly in this case, Congress conducted hearings on the Mushroom Act, heard from both sides of the issue, and, and heard some legitimate concerns from members of the mushroom industry about developments in the industry over the past decade or so that had resulted in many mushroom well, there, There's uh, a mushroom caucus in Congress, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not aware of that. A subterranean group, no doubt. (laughs) Uh, To get back to the government speech argument, we would emphasize that the Mushroom Council, the entity that engages in this speech, was created specially by Congress. Congress specified that the Secretary of Agriculture would appoint all members of the Mushroom Council. Congress specified the categories of activities in which the Mushroom Council could and could not engage. And Congress provided that the Secretary of Agriculture would have to approve each plan, project, and budget of the Mushroom Council well, 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 before the, it was What's implemented. the case or the rule or the line of doctrine that says speech interests can be uh, abridged because there's an important as opposed to simply a rational government interest? I mean, it sounds to me like a new line of cases. Uh, well, we would suggest that this particular program doesn't involve any infringement of speech interests at all. The Court has suggested that there are some First Amendment interests well, implicated in cases such as a food with well, — um, But then why are you saying it has to be an important interest? Then, then you just — if speech isn't involved, then just any old rational basis to do the government. Well, that's correct, and that's what the Court seemed to recognize in Wildman Brothers, that this case did not implicate any special First Amendment interest at all, and therefore rational basis uh, 
applied. Uh, we had argued in Wildman Brothers um, not for a standard that lenient, but for the Abood standard, and we were arguing there that um, the programs for California tree fruits satisfied that standard, as would the mushroom program here. So no further. There is another question I have on the government speech argument. How significant is it that it wasn't raised below, and you're the petitioner, you're not the respondent? I know you say it's embraced within the question presented, but does that satisfy the procedural uh, requirement? Normally, when petitioner relies on an argument, the petitioner should have raised it at some earlier stage in the litigation. We should have raised it, Your Honor. That's true. Uh, we didn't. We think that the Court uh, certainly has jurisdiction and discretion to address it in this case. And the Court has uh, addressed similar cases that have come up in similar circumstances. Um, what's, one the case closest, occurred what's the to closest me, case you can call our attention to that would say this? you've not procedurally defaulted the issue? Uh, Vance versus Terrazas, 444 U.S. 252, a 1980 decision by Justice White. Is it, does it matter if uh, they have an ideological objection? I noticed in their brief they said they objected to the association of mushrooms with alcohol, for example. No, we believe that under Wildman this is not the sort of objection that would um, amount to an ideological one, one that would invalidate the entire program. It's more, as the Court put it in Wildman, as a, a disagreement about tactics. Is there a procedure to object to that? It, one thing is to say mushrooms are so good to eat, but if one says they're an aphrodisiac, or, is there a procedure to object to that kind of advertisement? Uh, there's certainly a, a procedure through the Mushroom Council, uh, which consists of persons who were nominated by members of the mushroom industry to contact them and to express disagreement. How about the Secretary of Agriculture? Uh, such complaints can certainly be voiced to the Secretary of Agriculture as well. There's not a mechanism, for example, for re- obtaining a, a refund for this sort of expression with one, which one must might disagree, but there are avenues for expressing objections. Indeed, I would note that um, respondents' um, own representative was a member of the Mushroom Council at the time that um, uh, the so-called aphrodisiac program was uh, uh, implemented. He voiced his objection to it at the time and apparently was not persuasive to the other members of the Council, but he certainly was heard on that matter. Um, If there are no further questions, I'll reserve the remainder of my time. Very well, Ms. McDowell. Mr. Tribe, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Because something in this case does appear to turn on whether merely rationality review is appropriate or whether one needs something more important, we would suggest very much more important since we do think this is a free speech case, I wanted to begin with Justice Scalia's question, is there anything that Congress does that is not important? I think it's a question, however couched, that one really has to address in the context of these programs, because as the Solicitor General mentioned, there are a dozen programs in which Congress has essentially provided for the government to mandate that growers and producers pay for advertisement, and then, although there's some other informational stuff, that's the core of it. And in this case, as we point out in footnote 7 of our brief, it's 98 percent of it. These other programs are really quite haphazard. They uh, cover blueberries, but not raspberries. They don't cover strawberries. They cover avocados, not artichokes. 
they cover popcorn. Uh, in 1996, Congress found specifically uh, that popcorn has all of the characteristics of mushrooms vital to the economy. Uh, and indeed, it was in 1996 determined by Congress that canola is even more important uh, to the survival of the economy, and yet uh, no canola program was put in place, and maybe that explains why problems are occurring. Mr. Tribe, how does that differ from some tree fruits who were covered and others weren't in Wildman? Not at all. But in Wildman, you had an economic regulation, essentially. And as the Chief Justice pointed out in his concurring opinion uh, in the Greater New Orleans case, the various haphazard features of the commercial regulation there, of commercial speech, might have been constitutionally tolerable if Congress had undertaken substantively to regulate the gambling industry. That's a very fundamental difference. Of course one finds a crazy quilt pattern, and one doesn't inspect Congress's findings when merely rationality is involved. But if we are to accept the government's theory, and I want to turn to government speech in a moment, if we're to accept the government's theory, that whenever there is an interest, not a program, not a regulatory regime, nothing like collective bargaining or a labor union with an integrated a set of obligations or an integrated bar, as in the Keller case, but just an interest, like the interest in not having kids waste too much money on designer clothes. Whenever you can posit an interest in the air, and then you can find speech that would advance that interest, that's all you need. Now, suppose that they, would be an astonishing gov- principle. So why is it astonishing? Suppose the government were to say museum goers pay an extra 10 cents on a ticket so that we then can advertise to the inner city the presence of museums. Well, I, Suppose I that you had tobacco and they sure. said we want to charge 50 cents more a cigarette pack so that we can advertise that cigarettes are bad for you. All right? I mean, you can think sure. of lots of things that are not the slightest bit absurd. Right. Uh, and you're saying that all those things are unconstitutional? I'm not. I'm not. I, I do believe that the Court would have to break new ground, perhaps along the line Justice Kennedy has suggested, if there were government speech. In your questions, Justice Breyer, you No, no there isn't. We, in my we. questions, there is no government speech. Well, who's the in we my, but The question. we is that they have the Museum Council, and the Museum Council is told by statute to collect 10 cents on each ticket to advertise museums in the inner city. Or we have the Tobacco mm-hmm. Council, and the Tobacco Council is told to collect 50 cents a pack to advertise that tobacco smoking is bad for you. What if now, I, I want to know all those things seem identical right. to me. Well, it's, it seems to me that I really should turn to whether this is speech for which the government bears responsibility. Because it seems to me that in all of your cases, uh, whether the ultimate vehicle for the speech is the Tobacco Council or the government, it's the government's message. It's quite different to say that we're going to take money from private enterprise, private individuals, we're going to give it to other private individuals so that they can compose a message, like a message that uh, brands don't make any difference. If you've seen one mushroom, you've seen them all. A message which is very much opposed to the interest of those who are forced to pay. Now, if this were government speech, where government is accountable to the people, a principle like Justice Kennedy's saying that as long as the beneficiaries are the ones who are taxed might suffice. But let me turn to whether it's government speech, because I think when we get back to the question of whether 
it can survive on any other theory, it'll be fairly clear that, that it cannot. Now, I, I'm not going to spend time on whether this issue is properly before the Court, except to say that it's not just a technicality. It's not simply that the matter was not raised or addressed below and well, to, to what extent do you have to, you know, if you lose a case in the Court of Appeals, common sense tells you have a little bit different emphasis uh, in the Supreme Court, maybe you'll win. Uh, oh, I understand their reasons for doing it. I, I just wanted to say what reasons the Court might have for not letting them do it. And that is that if you look at the face of this law, as I'll explain in a moment, it's not government speech. To show that it was, they'd have to adduce but, but, um, facts, as in Brentwood. Yeah, but we're, we're, we're talking about the First Amendment. This is just one strand as opposed to another strand of First Amendment argument. Well, I'm not saying the Court lacks jurisdiction, but I'm saying that in order to establish that the government is really responsible for these messages, despite the fact that under the regulations and the statute, the Secretary cannot, in fact, reject a message for any reason other than that the program established by the Mushroom Council violates the statute or that the message derogates another individual's product. The message is composed by these private individuals in the Mushroom Council. The members of the Mushroom Council are selected by nomination from the private industry. The government is simply saying, promote mushrooms. Now, if that is government speech, it seems to me that in a case like, uh, oh, for example, it seems to me that in the Amtrak case, where they rely heavily on Lebron, uh, in Amtrak, where this court did hold that for purposes of making First Amendment arguments against Amtrak, it is an instrumentality of the government. But the artist who wanted to put something on that huge billboard in Amtrak's Penn Station uh, was not going to be propagating a government message simply because the government was providing the facility. The question of whether you can make a First Amendment argument against an entity, whether it's sufficiently the government for that purpose, has nothing to do with the question of whether it is government speech when that entity, as in the case of the Mushroom Council, uses its private capacity to propagate messages in its private interest. Mr. Tribe, I thought that the Secretary of Agriculture was the one who had the ultimate say about whatever message the Council proposed would, in fact, be allowed to be spoken. Isn't that so? Couldn't the Secretary of Agriculture say, I veto this message, you won't have it? He could under the statute only if the message is not consistent with the statute. He does not have general sensorial powers. He's not an editor under this statute. So I thought he's an, an approver, that, that if he doesn't approve, the message doesn't go out. Isn't that so? He has the ultimate power to approve the whole program. The program is approved by him. But he does not have authority to disapprove a campaign of advertising under the program on the ground that he doesn't like what it says. He's never exercised such authority. The regulations Maybe he hasn't don't. exercised it, but I, where in the statute does he say he doesn't have that authority? Well, in the 
guidelines of the Department of Agriculture itself for oversight of commodity research on page 49 of our brief. Uh, the description is that the Agricultural Marketing Service only reviews materials to ensure that they are in compliance with the applicable legislative authority. I, I don't know if one could construe this statute to make the Secretary of Agriculture assume a purely editorial capacity. I rather doubt it, but clearly no such construction has been suggested by the agency that administers the statute. I think the idea that the Mushroom Council is somehow the voice of America uh, is not plausible. Not plausible because this is not a message that the government has in any way organized or composed. And if so one suppose there were some sort point, of a, a, a disclaimer or an affirmation, I suppose it would be, uh, this message is uh, required uh, and permitted by a governmental program uh, and governmental regulations. The fact that it is permitted by government does not mean that it is government's voice. A great deal is permitted by the government. If it is required, if the exact words are required, the words on a cigarette package, the Surgeon General has determined that this is detrimental to your health, that's government speech. But if we say this is government speech, then much of what this Court was struggling with in cases like Keller and Leonard, uh, the speech of a state bar association, an integrated bar, which the Chief Justice, in his opinion for a unanimous court, pointed out the integrated bar for some purposes might be the government, but the expressive activities in which it engages, even if they are germane to the purposes of collective bargaining, that is, even if they are related to the process of exclusive representation and therefore squarely within the ambit of what the government has authorized uh, the entity to do in the case of a labor union, and even if they are part of the process of regulating the legal profession or improving legal service, it doesn't make it government speech. In fact, the magic wand of government speech would obliterate a great deal of the doctrine this Court has carefully built. I do think it's worth looking at the reason. Where it would be government speech, though, with the museums? Well, if you had a comparable, I mean, what they're doing is a tax, museums, they're private organizations. Well, taxing or, the consumer. No, no, no. Product. What happens? They raise it the same way. I just want to make yeah, it I don't care whether it's a tax. I want to make it the same. Okay. And then, and then uh, the, the museums I, I, are going to advertise throughout the city the arts. They're going to say, come to the museums, the arts. To make so it the same. Happen. Yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean that. Right. To make it the same, Justice Breyer, yeah. you'd have to have a group of museums, yeah. some of them believing that all museums are the same, and you don't have to have anything fancy in the museum. It doesn't really matter if you have any Jackson Pollock. You just put stuff up. And other museums that specialize, and they have brands. And now the government comes along and says, all of you are free to say what you want about whether you will have Picasso there or Jack well, then, then, the, then the test just is whether or not it's against a particular uh, taxpayer's or, or contributor's interest. I, I don't think that's going to work. 
Well, I'm concerned about the museum hypothetical. Even, even, even the uh, see the problem as you go in. What the actual problem, it seems to me, and, and, and true of tobacco, is to start making these distinctions. I don't know what kinds of lines we're going to have to draw. Does the fact that it's a tobacco uh, anti-smoking message make the difference? All the other things being the same. Uh, does it the fact that do you see where I no, I, I see the problem, but the quicksand that yeah. you're describing, I think one can avoid to some extent by saying that the government does not have the power without complying with a very stringent First Amendment requirement to make people speak, either speak directly or contribute to someone else who then propagates a message in effect in their name. It's true that when I buy a product, the price may include the advertising cost. I buy pit sweet mushrooms and it includes it. Well, but the, if we say the government can make the people who sell clothes say that it's not very good to buy designer clothes, then we are lost. Well, so what, what would happen in this case? Uh, everything's the same except the Department of Agriculture writes all this stuff. They assess the — they assess the, then you have some, somebody in the Department of Agriculture. That would bring it on a parallel with the museum hypothetical. I think, General, that what I would like to see, but the Court has really not struggled with problems in this precise area, I would like to see a principle that says that government speech, when the government takes responsibility for it and assumes the shield from First Amendment scrutiny, must be funded from general revenue. Of course it could be, uh, Mr. Tribe, but uh, uh, the mushroom example strikes us as different from the museum example or the tobacco example simply because we're, <coughs> we're uh, more, more permitting of uh, uh, restrictions upon free speech for uh, reasons that we consider good. And maybe we like museums a lot, and we hate smoking a lot, and we're quite indifferent to mushrooms. Uh, that, that, that might, it might, it might express, uh, might, might be the reason behind uh, uh, why these examples uh, uh, cause difficulty. I frankly don't see any more justification for the museum example or the tobacco example than I do for the mushrooms. I, I think that's right, Justice Scalia. That is, apart from the portion of your statement that said we're indifferent about mushrooms, which doesn't reflect my present state of mind, <laughs> apart from that, uh, apart from that, I think that it is it should not be permissible for the government to make people propagate messages. How can it possibly make a difference whether we are told you better hire an ad agency next year and spend a hundred thousand dollars and advocate the following view: either that mushrooms are not so good for you, or that mushrooms are great, or that mushrooms make you want to smoke, and therefore they're not good for you? The Surgeon General has determined that smoking is hazardous to health. Right. That's a message that the government compels every cigarette manufacturer to put. That's right. Are you saying in your answer to Justice Scalia that that, too, is in violation of the First Amendment? Justice Ginsburg, I think the principle that sometimes what you don't say is as important as what you do explains why, in cases like Zouderer and Ibanez, the Court has stopped short of saying that the government may never fill in the gaps in someone's commercial. That is, if one is selling cigarettes and not mentioning that, by the way, they may kill you, perhaps the government has the power, it's been assumed that it does, to say you better add that to your message. But this is not a case where there's a gap in speech that's being filled by the government to protect consumers. Here the government says, 
We want, essentially, to manipulate consumer preference. It's exactly like Liquor Mart, except a mirror image. I mean, in, in Liquor Mart, <coughs> this Court essentially said, if you, I think, combine the opinions, I think this Court said that if your purpose is to affect consumption, in that case of liquor, by affecting price, and to affect price by, in that case, warding competition, because competition might drive price down and drive consumption up, then you at least have to satisfy Central Hudson. You at but least then these cases, like Central Hudson, say this is what you can't say. In this case, the argument is nobody is stopping any individual producer from saying whatever they want to say. They must, in addition, support the generic advertising. But except for the theory that there's only a limited kitty, and if I have yes. to support generic, I won't be able to plug my own product, it is very different from saying, I'm closing your mouth. You cannot say X. I'm saying you can say X, but you must, in addition, say Y. Justice Ginsburg, in Riley and in Hurley, this Court said it's not very different. Forcing you to say X is not different from preventing you from saying Y. And it, that's but, why but my example — May I just interrupt, Mr. Nobody's forced to say anything here. Your client doesn't have to say anything. All he has to do is pay money into a fund. A corporation can never say anything. All it can ever do is no, pay No, but money. it can finance its own message. But and it is not being compelled to say anything as a separate entity. I understand, Justice Stevens, and I think technically — well, that's why I gave the example of go and hire an ad agency. If the only thing that Riley and Hurley prevent is having the government actually say to you, you must use your own employees to get out the following message, then it would follow that they could require us, just as they can require us to put money in the kitty of the Mushroom Council so that they can speak for us, they could require us to go out and hire an ad agency and put out a certain kind of message and spend 100000 a year because they wouldn't be buttoning our lip. And by the way, the message had better be, all mushrooms are great. It seems to me if we had to hire an ad agency, no one here would doubt that that violated the First Amendment to require us to do it. And yet, that would be better for us than having to rely on the Mushroom Council. Can the government just advertise mushrooms on its own? I believe it can. The Even government if it's can just speak. some kinds of mushrooms? It can, it can be selective. The but government but can but even it just, be viewpoint-based in its but it, but, but it can't target a particular group to pay for that? I think the moment you start targeting people to pay for speech, a certain subgroup, there is a First Amendment problem. Of course, you think of the securities area where it's uh, municipal bonds. As soon as you get into that, it's a, it's a common thing for government to require people to take certain newspaper ads, uh, to uh, uh, have uh, certain kinds of prospectuses. To protect and, uh, consumers. Well, right? ah, yes, all right. Now, now just for, for reasons that are good reasons. I, I mean, this may be quite basic, and, the, and the, no. the cases may just not permit me to ask this question. But I just wonder why it is that uh, advertising here you're going to treat differently uh, from solicitation to buy stocks from any one of uh, uh, thousands and thousands of, of uh, uh, business activities carried on, as all businesses, through speech acts, which are subject to wide varieties of regulation, subsidy, dozens of things. Justice Breyer, I think there's a common theme that's very important, and that is regulation designed to eliminate impediments to fair bargaining 
may sometimes involve an informational component. Certain kinds of deception interfere with the ability of people to operate in the marketplace of ideas and goods and services. It's on that theory that the commercial speech doctrine can make some sense. And as suggested in a number of this Court's opinions that I think may converge to that view, whenever you try to manipulate preferences rather than enabling people to express them, you are essentially playing a big brother role with information. That's why there's a fundamental difference in principle between saying, in this case, you better add a certain warning or you will be fundamentally fooling the person on the other side of the bargaining table. Is the fundamental principle... you better say the following kind of thing because it's important to us that you say it. Is the fundamental principle just that there's a slippery slope here? Suppose you have tires that are coming apart at high speed. There's two ways to solve it. One is for the government to inspect everything and to charge the tire makers for the inspection fee and then put a government inspection label on. I assume no problem with that. Right. Auto tire, tire makers have to pay for it. Let's say that it's more cost effective for the tire makers to simply advertise that they have been inspected by the government and the tire makers are required to do that. Assume that it costs the same or even less to require the advertising scheme, but that the same objectives are achieved so far as the market. Why, why is the government prohibited from doing one, not the other? Just because of the slippery slope with speech? Well, I wouldn't minimize the importance of the slippery slope, but I'm not sure that the advertisement of the fact, the mere fact that you've been inspected by the government, is anything more than requiring you to be a vehicle for government speech. And cases like Willie V. Maynard supposedly limit that. Uh, They limit it on the ground that if the message is ideological, you shouldn't be forced to do it. But there's the slippery slope. Where does ideology end? ethical treatment of mushrooms. It seems to me that it's far safer in terms of protecting people from either having the government button their lip or having the government force them to speak uh, to limit the government's power with respect to mandating speech or mandating the funding of speech. The cases where the government can show not just any old general important interest because that's unlimited but show that the transactions involved are going to be significantly distorted by either misinformation or by overbearing unless a certain message is included. The moment you go beyond that, it seems to me, the moment you take advantage of that branch of the central Hudson test, which allows the government effectively to control speech in order to manipulate preferences, because it's in the public interest. You've abandoned the premise of Virginia Board of Pharmacy and of the whole line of cases that follow it. So you don't, you don't, like, the, you don't like the museum and the, uh, and, and the smoking example, right? I mean, on that theory, uh, they, they would be bad. I think so, but I do want to remind the Court that the issue here is principally whether this program can escape scrutiny under the First Amendment, not whether it is bad under the First Amendment. But I thought the smoking, I thought the justification for the smoking example, as you put it, was to fill a gap, which I I took it as as a way of saying 
uh, it required the correction of what would otherwise have been a misleading presentation by the tobacco. Oh, excuse me, I, I meant the other. I meant the other smoking example of, right. of, of general advertising that uh, smoking oh, is bad. Oh, oh, not, oh, not, not the thing on the cigarette. Right. I have no Sorry. problem with the okay. thing on the package, but making the industry. Fund a campaign. And likewise here, if every hundredth mushroom was blue and blue mushrooms made you sick, there would be no problem, no problem in funding a scheme saying look out for the blue mushrooms. Out mushroom. for the blue mushrooms. Yeah. That's right. No problem whatever. Uh, whether this program should be subject to First Amendment scrutiny, other than on the government speech theory, which as I tried to explain I think does not work, uh, depends, I think, on whether it is ancillary to something. That is, it's not a question of exactly what all the bells and whistles looked like in the regulatory program for nectarines and peaches. It was clear, as this Court repeatedly emphasized, including in the section of the opinion explaining why the Central Hudson framework didn't fit, it was clear that the fundamental structure of the program was to replace individual choice and competition with collectivization. And when you do that, the premises of Central Hudson don't work. And when you collectivize, among other things, people don't necessarily have much incentive to say things that will have positive spillover effects for other people's products. There's a kind of advertisement gap, which perhaps the government could fill the way it did in Wildman. Mr. Tribe, all this depends on your reading Wildman in a way other than Justice Souter appeared to read it in his footnote 3 when he said, Germain is one thing or is not ideological. He seemed to think that this opinion had two legs and it could stand on one or the other. Well, I, I must say I read the in any event phrase, which is pivotal that's, that's here. That's from the, from the, the right. court's opinion. I know. I read it. I'm reading the or from the dissenting opinion. But it seems to me that all one really has to ask is whether it would be conceivable to have a rule that says as long as it's not ideological, it doesn't matter whether it's germane to anything. You can make people speak about it. So we could make the mushroom people distribute copies of weather reports to everyone in the country. You might come up with a rationalization for that. If and it, on the other wasn't hand, it true that in, in uh, the Wildman that the pro- object — it wasn't cartelization. There weren't price or production regulations. There were simply regulations as to product quality. Well, but for one thing, you can have a, a serious antitrust conspiracy simply because of minimum quality. Yeah, that, that's true. But it, it really it, went beyond that. Also, there were size restrictions on the fruit. Poor quality is, 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 is one, one manner of competing. You sell poor quality exactly. goods exactly. at a cheaper price. Some people prefer to pay less and can't tell the difference. But clearly, they were immune, for example, from the antitrust laws. This was now collectivized. And so all of the talk about the free market of information which underlies and undergirds Virginia Board didn't apply. Well, the, the difference with the, the particular thing, uh, germane there to product quality, germane here to expanding the market. But that's always present. That is, if you want to germane in Liquor Mart to having people consume less liquor, I mean, that will never do. It, it seems to me the moment you kick the prop out from under this, it's simply a free-floating mandate to fund speech. And it seems to me as such it can't possibly be sustained. And I do think that even the word germane is awfully slippery, as is the word ideology. I mean, it seems to me that when you look at, for example, what Keller said about the Ellis case, it's really required in the whole Abud line of cases that something be reasonably necessary 
as an expense incurred to make the non-speech program of collective bargaining or of professional regulation work. This is not reasonably necessary to make anything work except itself. And indeed, one of their amici representing beef and milk and eggs, I think, uh, said it quite bluntly, I think, on page 6 of the amicus brief. They said, this speech is germane to itself. Well, hurrah. It seems to me that tautology is everybody's friend, except the friend of the First Amendment. <laughs> uh, and I think with that, I, I would close. Thank you, Mr. Tribe. Ms. McDowell, you have four minutes remaining. I did want to correct the suggestion that, um, as Mr. Tri put it, the Secretary of Agriculture does not have general sensorial power over the speech of the Mushroom Council. Indeed, she does. It's inherent in 7 U.S.C. 6104-D-3. No plan or project of promotion, research, consumer information, or industry information or budget shall be implemented prior to its approval by the Secretary. Indeed, I'm informed by the Department of Agriculture that um, Secretaries of Agriculture have um, uh, censored uh, speech of um, ag- agricultural groups such as this one on grounds of taste as well as on uh, grounds of lack of conformity with the statute and regulations. Uh, Mr. Tribe referred to um, the theory that the government should be not be buttoning a person's lip or forcing them to speak. This program does neither for the reasons recognized in Wildman Brothers. Uh, respondent is not required to engage in any speech, nor is respondent's own speech censored in any manner by the Mushroom Act. Uh, the Mushroom producers, such as respondent, are merely required to contribute to an economic program to promote their product. Sometimes, perhaps, uh, as this course has recognized, money can be speech, but here it's just money. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. McDowell. The case is submitted. We'll hear argument next.